This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Doing great. I'm glad we got that out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to start the show the same way as we always do, so you have an easy time. (laughs) Thank you so much. So we don't really have a whole lot of announcements this week, I don't think. We're just kind of pushing forward towards the summer, which... I'm so excited about. Summer is right around the corner. I can't wait. I'm so happy. It's getting hot here in Central Florida. So speaking of summer, though, that is when we'll be at CrimeCon in New Orleans. It's going to be, what is it, Melissa, June 7th through 9th? I love whenever you ask me (laughs) because I always have to look at the calendar. Yes, 7th through 9th. Awesome. So we will be there at CrimeCon. If you guys want to go to CrimeCon and you haven't purchased a ticket yet, you can use our code M&M19 to get 10% off your standard badge. And we hope to see you there. And there's so many more people there. There's podcasters, but then there's like people from TV. The whole crew from Dateline will be there. I saw a tweet this week where CrimeCon asked Chrissy Teigen if she would be coming to a new uh, CrimeCon sometime. She said yes. Didn't say that it was this one. And really, you know, what you say on Twitter, you can say whatever. But maybe Chrissy Teigen will be there. Maybe. So well, we can't. Maybe buy it. Yeah. <laughs> on a maybe Chrissy Teigen will be there. Yes. Yes, exactly. All right. Perfect. So we're going to get right into the story this week. This week's story is really, really heartbreaking. It's a little bit different from what we typically cover on the show. But our researcher, Mary Jane, wanted to get this story out there. It's very um, near and dear to her heart, this case. So she helped with the research. And we wanted to tell this story, even though it's probably not not one that you want to listen to with your kids around, I would say. No. I feel like we have to put a little disclaimer on that because typically we don't, you know, do stories that are, that are, that you can't listen to in front of kids. So this is one though, I would say save it for when you are having your alone time by yourself with no little ears around. So this week's case comes to us from Escondido, California. And before we get into the story, we're going to do, we Googled this city. Escondido is part of San Diego County and has around 143,000 residents as of the 2010 population census. Escondido is located about 30 miles from downtown San Diego and was actually founded in 1888, making it one of the oldest cities in San Diego County. San Diego County produces the most what in the country, Mandy? Do you know? Um, no. Okay. I feel like I've shared this fact before, and due to your intense love of them, I really thought you were going to pull through and remember this. It starts with an A and ends with avocado. Avocado. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Proving that no one learns anything from these Google these cities. (laughs) So yeah, they're home to the most avocados produced in the U.S. And one notable resident 
of Escondido is a man by the name of Tom Anderson. Mandy, do you know who Tom Anderson is? I'm scared to say no because I'm afraid you're going to it's like, okay. roast me. It, but no, I it's don't. okay. <laughs> this is a roast free zone today. <laughs> well, Tom Anderson is a name you might not know, but you will know what he looks like. You would know him by his plain white t shirt, his I look like I'm in a cult smile, and he was sitting in front of a whiteboard. And he was, of course, your first friend on MySpace. Tom, oh, MySpace guy. Tom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, your first friend. So MySpace is apparently still a thing. I think it's big for bands. I want to say Justin Timberlake bought it, or maybe it was Ashton Kutcher. Somebody in that world bought it and is continuing to talk about it. Because I even heard a band recently, and they were like, find us on MySpace. And I was like, well, it's not 2012. Um, so <laughs> actually, 2012 is too late. It would be like 2005. Yeah, oh, it was I'm way so earlier. Old. Yeah. <laughs> really, really old. So like I said, MySpace is apparently still a thing. I have no idea if you can still rearrange your top 16 friends, depending on who's being nice to you that week. But be right back, guys. Feel free to leave a comment while listening to the 11,000 songs I've posted all at the same time and being dazzled by Full Glitter and Hello Kitty from top to bottom. (laughs) (laughs) That was a very weird way to say all of that. But oh my gosh, my MySpace page looked like I was having a breakdown at all times. I, I, I barely even remember my MySpace page, but I do remember top friends. And I always thought there was only eight, though, your top eight friends. Eventually, it turned to 16, and then I think 32. Like, they were like, people are really getting hurt over this. We have to change it. (laughs) But I 100% remember talking to a friend and being like, oh, I'm sorry. I just had to rotate people around and drop them off. And, like, people would say something to you. And I barely had nine friends, so I don't know. (laughs) It Really, once it moved to 16, I was like, well, I don't even have 16 people to put on there. I tried to put Tom in my top 10. It didn't work. (laughs) Oh my gosh, get me off of this. Let's go to something else. (laughs) So today's story starts off with a young girl, a 14-year-old named Amber Dubois, and she was described as a sweetheart and a bookworm. She didn't really have a lot of interest in typical things that some 14-year-old girls get into, like makeup and shopping, but she did have a deep love for animals. February 13th, 2009 was a very exciting day for Amber. She had been waiting for the past year to get a baby lamb that she was going to raise as a project for future farmers of America. She was so anxious all morning and she was actually being pretty impatient. She was kind of badgering her mom's boyfriend, David Cave, to write this check so that she could go to school that day and pay for this baby lamb. And she was just so excited to bring it home and raise it and was so happy that her her mom and her stepdad were ha- were letting her do this. She kind of pestered, as I said, Dave all morning for the check so she could do it. She was very, very excited. But Dave was I say it was her mom's boyfriend, but he was actually in her life for a very long time since she was about four years old. And he absolutely adored her and thought of her as his own flesh and blood. So he is referred to her as stepdad in some of the police reports that we'll talk about in this case, although he was not actually married to her mom. He also had a young daughter named Allison with Amber's mother, Carrie. So Dave finally wrote this $200 check for the lamb and gave it to Amber, and she excitedly walked down the street towards her high school, Escondido High School. But Amber never made it to school that morning. The alarm wasn't raised until several hours later when she failed to return home, but her mom, Carrie, immediately felt that she had been kidnapped and that something was very, very wrong. It was definitely not like Amber to not come home from school, especially not on this particular day when she was going to have this baby animal and she was going to be very excited to get home that day and, you know, show show her family her new 
her new pet. So the police did not really have that much information to go on with this girl's disappearance. At first, there were really no witnesses that came forward. There was no evidence. There was not really any leads. And it appeared that Amber had just vanished. Searchers canvassed the Escondido area while Carrie and Dave searched alongside the investigators going door to door, asking everybody in the area if they had seen anything. Even Amber's biological father, Maurice, or Mo, came down from Los Angeles to join in the search for his daughter. Investigators were not very trustworthy of anybody in this case. They didn't rule anyone out that was close to Amber at all. They even started to zero in on actually one person in particular, which was Dave, her stepdad. He was the last one to have seen Amber on the day of her disappearance, and therefore the investigators started to focus their attention really heavily on him, which, of course, that's like so tough. You know, you've got your girlfriend's daughter is missing, and now the police are really looking at you. Everybody is kind of on edge and getting, you know, even Carrie was feeling a little bit suspicious and just wasn't really sure. Very confusing time, I imagine, for all of them. Dave was of course, confused and really kind of hurt by these accusations that he would have ever done anything to hurt Amber, but he wanted to cooperate fully with the investigation and really wanted them to just hurry up and clear him of any suspicion so that he they could get on to the important thing, which was just finding her and finding who actually did take her. Sadly, the search for Amber went on for very long time. 22 days into the search, there was still no sign of her. And there was over 400 volunteers searching. They had searched over 200 square miles and had turned up absolutely no clues. The stress of Amber's disappearance and the investigation was starting to really take a toll on Dave and Carrie's relationship. And they kind of started going through some rocky times. But as I said, I can't imagine how stressful this was to the two of them. You hear all the time in these these cases where there's missing children or, you know, your child goes missing and it's just, what can you, you know, what do you even do? And it's very right. hard on, on any relationship I would imagine. Well, and added stress is the police are now looking at your partner and saying, Hey, this guy could have something to do with it. So not only are you looking for your daughter, the person that's helping you look for your daughter, you're looking at it in a slightly different way because you just don't know. And if the police are telling you this person had something to do with it, I don't feel like you're going to just really brush it off completely. You know, they're right. still investigating. They're do what, doing what they're supposed to do. So I can't imagine how much more stress that's adding on an already stressful situation. So hope was really starting to fade at this point that they would ever see Amber alive. All investigators really knew in this story was that Amber disappeared while walking to her high school. And so they eventually found these two witnesses that said they saw her walking alone. And then one that said they allegedly saw a boy standing near her. And this was like someone, I think a parent of one of the kids in the school who said, yeah, I saw Amber and she was standing next to a guy, a boy is what, what she called him. And, you know, kind of described him, said he was a little, I think doughy was the word she used, darkish skin, dark hair. And so, you know, then they think, okay, well, we have somebody that's, you know, maybe been around in the area and now we have something, you know, we can see where she went on a certain road or what have you. One thing I found to be really heartbreaking, but understandable is while they're focusing on Amber's stepdad, Dave, they said, you know, hey, you cannot help us in this search because if you find Amber, if you found her body or what have you, it's going to look even more suspicious. Like they say, whenever there's an, a fire or something and the arsonist goes back to the scene of the crime and was it, yeah, it was the Honolulu Strangler where 
allegedly the person that um, could have been involved in it, you know, showed up in that area, pointed police towards something or wouldn't let them search in that area. So the big thing in this is why they were even really looking at Dave, besides being the last person that saw her, was that Dave was really a person of very strict routine. But that day, he actually broke his entire routine. So he did not show up for work that day, which was super unusual because he was the owner and really the driving force behind his scaffolding business. And instead, he woke up early, he gave Amber the check, and then he left to go to the gym. He went home later to do his taxes. Somehow during that time, he missed the call from the secretary at the school saying Amber didn't show up. So Carrie also remembered that day that Dave had actually come by her work unannounced and brought chocolate-covered strawberries. And she thought this was kind of odd because it was the day before Valentine's Day. It was February 13th that he showed up to do all this, and it was very just out of character. He said, you know, I wanted to do something nice for you, and she said he was there for like 45 minutes and eventually became kind of annoyed because she was like, okay, I didn't know you were coming here. You know, I have to go on with my day. What's going on? And as terrible as it sounds, that sounds like something I would do that would just be like, very nice of you. I have things to do. It's not even Valentine's Day. People are going to be like, why are you outside for 45 (laughs) minutes? Yeah. So that makes sense, especially if he's somebody that's doing the same thing every day. To make this giant of a leap this day didn't make any sense. Tensions continued to grow in their relationship. And Dave, you know, was saying a teenager really brings a lot of conflict into a household. And Carrie actually said that Dave and Amber would fight really frequently and weren't speaking to each other the entire month before she went missing. So Dave claims that the night before Amber went missing, they really worked it out and, you know, talked to each other and even went shopping together at the bookstore. So like the night before, February 12th, they had kind of come to some sort of resolve before the day before he gave her that check. After interrogating him for several hours, police photographed Dave's hands and his body. He even took a polygraph test. He actually ended up taking eight of them. Even though the investigation was tearing him apart, Dave knew that statistically police had to look at him hard in order to clear him. And while there was some circumstantial evidence against him that we talked about breaking his normal routine and them having a little bit of tension, he always maintained his innocence and cooperated fully with the police. So Amber's dad, Mo, had taken a leave of absence from his job in L.A. to come down and join the search efforts. He ends up losing his job during this time and had to use his savings to really finance the search. So everyone's really all in with this. It's pretty amazing. They talked about hundreds and hundreds of people coming in for these searches. They did that thing where arm to arm, you know, walking through these brushy areas. This area seemed, it wasn't a desert. (laughs) I don't want to get myself confused. But there were some wooded areas, just brush and stuff that like, it just seemed like, how could you ever look through all of this? How could you ever find anything? Really? I mean, it just, you have no idea, you know, like the last road she was on, but where do you look? And, you know, how easy is it to miss looking at something? So they had all these search, search teams and Carrie talked about week after week, less people showing up and less people showing up and less people showing up as, you know, they continued to look for their daughter, which has to be so disheartening. Like you understand, but it's still your kid. Right. Yeah. And what you were saying about like all the brush and everything and having to go, you know, searching through that. It sounds like whenever you say like, oh, we'll just go walk through, you know, this wooded area or we'll just walk through this brush. But it is really not that easy whenever you have when you're actually trying to walk through a heavily wooded area and there's like a lot of overgrown things on the ground. It's 
it's very hard to walk through and to search for anything, like you said. So yeah, I can I can totally understand how it would be just heartbreaking to watch less and less people show up to come do this. And, you know, like you said, yeah, you understand where they're coming from, but you still are, you're still searching. Right. So in August, just six months after Amber went missing, Carrie hired a private search team with scent dogs to retrace Amber's steps and possibly reveal some new leads. Dogs trace scent from Amber's house along her usual route to high school all the way down the Pala Reservation, which is about 20 miles away. Amber's mother said there was no reason she would have ever gone there. She'd actually never been there. And so if Amber's scent is actually being found there, it's because someone took her there. And we are going to get into this story some more after a quick word from this week's sponsor. Remember that time that you and your friends were on a tight budget but wanted a nice watch and accessories and you wanted to make it affordable to other people? And then you and your friends sold over 2 million watches across 160 countries? Me either. But that's exactly what the folks behind Movement Watches were able to do. These guys were entrepreneurs who worked from the ground up, and they were tired of the nice designer watches being so expensive for everyday people. So they decided to do something about it. Movement Watches start at just $95, so you are guaranteed to find something you really love without breaking the bank. Movement also has sunglasses and a growing jewelry collection, so they have all of your accessory needs covered. Accessories are the perfect gift for yourself or someone you love. They're an easy and quick way to dress up an outfit and pretend that you are put together even when your kids are slowly killing you inside. Movement sent us both really beautiful watches. I chose the gorgeous Ghost Iris watch from their Bloom collection. The leather band is beautiful and super comfortable, and I love keeping my wardrobe light and bright, and this watch goes perfectly with my personal style. For my watch, I chose the beautiful Jaded Rose style, also from the Bloom series. I loved the circular white face and the two-tone stainless steel band, and also that it had markings for each number on a clock, so I don't have to spend five minutes just trying to figure out what time it is. Get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmt.com moms. See why movement keeps on growing. Check out their expanding collection and go to mvmt.com slash moms. Join the movement. The 2019 FabFitFun Spring Box is on sale now, and you can join us in treating yourself with amazing items like Coors Wild Rose Vitamin C Brightening Sleeping Facial. Remember that scene from The Office, the dinner party episode where Jan gets really stressed out and sniffs her Serenity by Jan candles just to calm herself down? That's actually me with my FabFitFun box. When I need a little calm in my crazy life, I just check out all the amazing things that came in my spring box. The best part is that this box comes with all full-size products. There are no samples of anything, and every box is guaranteed to have over $200 in retail value. The 2019 spring box retails between $347 to $354, depending on the combination of choices you choose for your box. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and what better way to celebrate the moms in your life than with a FabFitFun box, which is the perfect gift for Mother's Day. As a mom, I can tell you this gift would be the most welcomed gift for Mother's Day. FabFitFun is basically 12 gifts for the price of one, and you can get the mom in your life goodies from a variety of categories like health, beauty, and lifestyle, valued at over $200. One of my favorite products in the spring box was the Dolux Mini Backpack. It's practical all while being chic, but it also costs more than buying the entire FabFitFun box with all the other goodies it includes. I love that you can customize many things in your box, or if you're one of those people that loves a good surprise, you can allow the FabFitFun curators to make a perfect box for you. Mail time is rarely an exciting time once you become an adult, but you can change that. Get a FabFitFun box for yourself or someone you love and make getting the mail a fun thing to do again. Sign up for FabFitFun today. 
These boxes always sell out. Use our code MOMS to get $10 off your first box. Go to fabfitfun.com to sign up and start getting the box for a life well lived. Use promo code MOMS to get $10 off your first box. That's over $200 for only $39.99. Go to fabfitfun.com and use our code MOMS to get $10 off your first FabFitFun box. And now back to the episode. So at this point in the story, news of Amber's disappearance is starting to make national headlines. It was featured on America's Most Wanted and on the cover of People magazine. Because of all of this media attention, there were leads that were coming in from all over the country. And there was even one girl who lived completely on the other side of the country that so closely resembled Amber that she had to keep her photo ID on her to show police that she was not Amber Dubois because she was actually being stopped so frequently and, you know, people were thinking that they had spotted her. Some leads came in from Mexico and Carrie drove down four or five times to check those out. She just was not going to give up on finding her daughter. Carrie also printed out a list of all the names of sexual predators in the area. At that time, there were 148 of them. She would go one by one and stake out each person. She wanted to know what kind of car they drove, where they worked, anything at all that she could find out about them. The police were once called to an apartment building where Carrie had gotten into an altercation with a sex offender while speaking to him outside of his apartment. The police told her that she needed to stop or she would be arrested. Really what she was doing was kind of also a crime. But it just goes to show like the grief that she had as a mother that she was willing to go and encounter these people. These are convicted predators, some of them. And she was actually going and confronting them just to find answers about what happened to Amber. Yeah. So at this point, Carrie is hoping still to find her daughter alive. On the one-year mark of Amber's disappearance, her family organized a walkathon to raise funds to continue in the search efforts. And it was around this time that Amber's family got word that another teenage girl from the area had gone missing. Chelsea King was a 17-year-old high school senior, also from Escondido, California, that had a talent for writing. She described herself as eclectic and loved to write down short motivational sayings on post-it notes and stick them everywhere. And she called these sticky note wisdoms. I love that. I do too. Chelsea went missing on February 25th, 2010, which was just a few weeks over the one-year anniversary of Amber's disappearance. She failed to return from her usual run behind a housing development near her home. She disappeared just 10 miles from where Amber had gone missing. Amber's family was heartbroken for the Kings and immediately joined the search for Chelsea, offering up whatever she could, any kind of support, any kind of help that she could offer. Chelsea's dad later said that Mo told him that, you know, they were going to find her and he found tremendous support in having them as part of the search team. On March 2nd, 2010, there was going to be a candlelight vigil to pray for Chelsea's return and to raise more awareness about her case. That same day, Chelsea's underwear and running shoes had been located in the Lake Hodges area, about 30 miles north of San Diego. The police showed the shoes to the King family, who confirmed that it was the same type that Chelsea wore. The underwear that they recovered also had traces of blood in them. Later that day, Chelsea's body was discovered in a shallow grave just 10 feet from the shores of Lake Hodges. Investigators quickly processed the underwear, and it was positive for DNA that belonged to an unknown male. 
Due to some really, really good police work in this case, the DNA was matched to John Albert Garner, who was a violent sex offender and had actually just completed parole in 2008 after serving a five-year sentence in prison for the rape and beating of a 13-year-old girl in the year 2000. He had been living in an apartment complex with his mom and invited this 13-year-old neighbor over to the house to watch movies. He kept trying to make moves on her, and she was fighting off his advances, and he ended up raping her and beating her up. He told friends and family that none of this was true, that the girl had been having consensual sex with her own boyfriend, and that her mom got mad about it, and that her mom did this to her, and basically was telling his friends that he was just the fall guy for this, and his friends believed him. That was super upsetting to me because there's this one friend and she was just like, yeah, he said this whole story and it made sense. And we've always known him to be a really nice guy. And so he just brought it up that, you know, you know, I felt bad for the girl. Her mom did this to her. Can you believe her mom did this to her? And so, you know, this is what's going to happen to me and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, what? Like, it's so actually horrifying what he did. It is. It's very upsetting. Yeah. And then to turn it on her mom made me every kind of angry about him. And then, of course, there's, you know, controversy over his his sentence being five years. It's it's unfathomable, really. We'll get into that later. Just how that all went down. So once they had this DNA match and they knew about these priors and everything, he was immediately arrested and charged with Chelsea's rape and murder. The candlelight vigil had become a memorial service of sorts now that they had come into all of this new evidence and information in the case. So the police started looking through their old reports and they were trying to find any cases that may have resembled this case of Chelsea's. They wanted to find out if there was any other similar attempted robberies or assaults. And they actually did find something. There was a claim that was made by a 22-year-old woman named Candace Moncayo. Two months earlier, on December 27, 2010, Candace was a student at the University of Colorado, and she was home in Escondido, California, visiting family over the Christmas break. She had gone for a run around Lake Hodges area at around 1030 that morning. The initial reports of the attack stated that a man had tried to rob Moncayo, but then attempted to rape her instead. She reported to the police that she told her attacker he would have to kill her first, and according to her... This man had said, you know, that could be arranged, that he would be willing to to take her life. He grabbed her and tried to pin her to the ground. But being the daughter of a champion kickboxer, fighting was just simply in her nature. And she fought hard for her life and, you know, elbowed him in the face with such force that she says that she heard his nose actually breaking. And her attacker fell to the ground with his hands over his face, and she took off running as fast as she possibly could and dialed 911 at a neighboring house. Police contacted Candace and asked her to look at the mugshots, and she identified John Albert Gardner as the man who had also attacked her. Gardner denied this attack, but he was eventually charged with that crime in addition to Chelsea's murder. While investigators connected these two cases, it was hard not to consider that he may have had involvement in the Amber Dubois disappearance as well. Most of Amber's family doubted Gardner's involvement at first. They didn't think that the method of the crimes and the victimology matched with Amber's case. The Dubois family and their private investigators felt that Gardner might not have been responsible for Amber's disappearance because typically what he did was stalk his prey and would wait in a secluded area and strike when there was nobody watching. But Amber was a little bit different because she was taken and out in the open location. 
So they were kind of along the thinking that whoever took Amber had to be somebody that she knew or she would never have gotten into the car with this person. Amber's father, Mo, did believe that Gardner was the right guy. He said that there were enough similarities to assume that he was involved in both of these murder cases. With Candace confirming the identification and the DNA evidence against Gardner, his lawyers wanted to negotiate a deal to keep him off of death row. So his defense attorneys negotiated that he would plead guilty to Chelsea's murder and to the attack on Candace, and he would have to also confess to Amber's abduction, her murder, and would have to lead the police to Amber's body. If he did that, he would receive life without parole as a sentence. Without this deal, prosecutors didn't really have enough evidence to charge him with Amber's murder. So they're they're really they really think that he is responsible and they want him to they want to get him for this as well at this point. So I always think plea deals are so interesting, but I guess in the end if the person goes away for life like they need to. Yeah. Well, they talked about this with the King family and and they were so distraught. They wanted they were going to get answers and they knew, you know, Amber's family and Amber's family had helped them and like they kind of felt like, "Oh my gosh, if they can get answers, they've been waiting longer than we've been waiting for answers and they couldn't imagine, you know, going longer for them." And I think it just seemed like for them, that was an obvious choice for them to make. Yeah. So this plea deal was kept a secret from Amber's family until they were sure that Gardner wasn't lying about his involvement and about Amber's location. They didn't want to get the parents' hopes up after this whole year of searching and not having any answers. The police were told that Gardner wanted to take them to the location of Amber's body, but he was only going to do this if they would not use any of it against him in court. So the main officer said he gathered a few police officers as well as the SWAT team, and they were all kind of worried because this guy, Gardner, is a bigger guy, and he's bringing them to the side of a mountain. He could easily try to do a number of things, to make a run for it or to do something to one of the officers. So they were even worried that he would just get to this, you know, up on this mountain and just throw himself off the side, and then they have a whole nother can of worms they have to deal with. So he took the police to several different areas where they looked around and then they saw an area that looked like a smooth area where a shovel had been pushed in and he said that that was where she was. So they took him down the mountain and then they began digging. On March 6, 2010, authorities located the skeletal remains of Amber Dubois on the northern border of the Palette Indian Reservation. And where this was, didn't no one would have found her. They just simply would not have ever found her. He had a hard time finding her and he put her there. Like it was just so secluded, so off the beaten path. There's only one way to get in. And he, until he saw this like crazy, literally the shovel sliced down into the dirt there, like from a year ago until he saw that he didn't even know where she was. It was incredible that they were ever able to find her. And we're going to get into the rest of this story after one last break for a word from this week's sponsor. It's April in Florida, which means it's the rest of the country's July. Our sweaters are long packed away and it's time to update my wardrobe for summer. Because Poshmark is the easiest way to buy and sell fashion items, I can sell my old sweaters on Poshmark and use that money to buy some new clothes for our never-ending summer months. 
You guys know we love Poshmark because instead of buying things new, you can shop from millions of closets across America. You can download the free Poshmark app and find women, kids, and men's clothing and accessories. I bought an adorable navy and white striped short sleeve button down made by Banana Republic. It was listed at $22, but with Poshmark, you can make the seller an offer. And I offered the seller $15, which they accepted. And because of the super fast shipping with Poshmark that makes it both easy on the buyer and the seller, I actually already have my shirt. I got it within like three days. When I was scrolling the app looking for a new purse, I found a Kate Spade crossbody shoulder bag for just $65, which would cost $200 if it was brand new in the store. And it's not just Kate Spade. Poshmark has all of your favorite brands like Coach, Anthropology, and Calvin Klein. Listeners of Moms and Murder get $5 off your first purchase. Just enter the invite code MURDER5 when you sign up. That's invite code MURDER5. Do you have picky eaters in your home? Me too. Also, the picky eaters in my house actually include me. I'm not a fancy eater, but I do want to get out of the recipe rut and not eat the same five things over and over again. And I really want to start cooking outside of my comfort zone. And I can do that by discovering new delicious recipes with HelloFresh. HelloFresh is heaven sent on those busy weeks. They make conquering the kitchen a reality with deliciously simple recipes, and they do all the meal planning, shopping, and prepping. So you can sit back and enjoy a healthier you and a happier family. All HelloFresh meals come together in 30 minutes max and call for less than two pots and pans and require minimal cleanup. And we both love the Picky Eater kid-tested and approved family plan recipes. It's perfect for the picky kids and picky Melissa's in your life. This week, I tried the figgy balsamic pork with roasted green beans and rosemary potatoes. I would be lying if I didn't tell you that having the word figgy in my food freaked me out, but I could not have been more wrong. The pork cooked to absolute perfection, and the balsamic figgy sauce was absolutely delicious. I even poured some of the sauce onto my green beans and my rosemary potatoes, which were equally delightful. For $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash MomsAndMurder80 and enter MomsAndMurder80 at checkout. It's like receiving eight meals for free. Again, for $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash MomsAndMurder80 and enter code MomsAndMurder80. Now, back to the show. At this point, Gardner has actually led them to Amber's body. And so the following evening, Carrie and Mo, Amber's mom and dad, were summoned to the police station. After having 13 months of no answers, the Dubois felt a sense of relief and closure. Although the hope of finding their daughter alive was gone, they knew that the person that had done this to their daughter was behind bars and had admitted to doing this. We talked a little before about Gardner, you know, having gone to jail for rape and only serving five years. This is where there's a lot of things that seem to have gone wrong, besides the very short prison sentence. Different times where it looks like had they been monitoring him, you have to wonder, would any of this have even happened? Right. While Gardner was on parole between 2005 and 2008, it was determined that he had violated the terms of his parole seven times, including living near a school in 2007. One time, in fact, he'd actually driven to a prison to pick up a friend or someone he knew, which is a huge violation. And one of the prosecutors was saying, you know, hey, if we would have known that, he would have gone to prison. It would have been his third strike, blah, blah, blah. So like huge missed opportunities with this guy. Gardner was actually ordered to wear an ankle monitor to track him through GPS up until four months before Amber's disappearance. Through the GPS records, it was found that he had 168 parole violations in total. Oh my gosh. He spent so much time near schools and daycares, and 
they kind of talked about this a little bit where how on earth did he have so many parole violations? How did nobody ever find it? But I guess because he was considered low risk because he had no priors to the time he raped somebody that unless they were searching specific things, they would not see, they weren't checking his GPS. It was there, but they weren't really monitoring it, which what is the point of having this if you're not really monitoring it? It was kind of like an after effect that if he did something, they would check it, but being low risk, which I still don't understand, they weren't tracking him as much. So GPS tracked Tracking also put him in remote areas of the Pala Indian Reservation, where Amber's remains would eventually be found. Basically, he should have never been out of prison, is what we're trying to say. After Gardner had pleaded guilty to Amber's murder, Carrie wanted to confront her daughter's killer face-to-face, and she was desperate to get answers from him about Amber. And she is, to use the word tenacious about Carrie is like an understatement. This lady was going to get to the bottom of it. She, She didn't care. So... Authorities refused to let her see him until after sentencing, and she was like, yeah, that's not going to work for me. So instead, she waits outside the jail and actually confronts Gardner's mother, who was a psychiatric nurse. She thought maybe like the mom, she could talk to the mom and say, hey, will you give up your spot to talk to him so I can talk to him? But, you know, the mother has her face shielded. Her friend is protecting her and is like, you need to go away, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, hey, I just want to ask your kid why you killed my kid. It was just hard to watch all the way around because there's so many victims in this case, including his mom. I mean, they're, and of course, Amber's mom. It's just heartbreaking to watch all of these people who have, you know, really been broken by this. So after this altercation with his mother, Carrie actually gets a call the next day asking if she can be at the jail in 30 minutes to speak with John, which she was like, yeah, I'll be there. So she sits down with John in the prison He's got the phone on one end. She's on the other end. And she said she looks at his face once. But then after that, she was like, I'm not going to look at him because I want to know everything. I want to remember every single thing that happens. And she was afraid if she'd look at him, she would get emotional. So Carrie asked him, walk her through this entire day. So he actually takes off after a fight with his girlfriend. I think his girlfriend had a son, which is super upsetting. Or he had a girlfriend at one time that had a son. So he drives by this road that that road that Amber was on that she normally wasn't on. And so Amber's mom thinks that maybe that morning she had taken a detour to tell like her friend about this check she has for this lamb. And she's walking by herself and he cuts her off. So he says to her, I have a knife and a gun and you need to get in or things are going to get bad for you. And Amber was shocked and scared. And this is a big guy. Like he is not a little guy. This guy terrified me whenever I saw him. She refused at first, but he became more angry and more forceful. So he drives to this remote area and he turns music on to try and help Amber relax. And of course, she's upset and irritated and angry and you know he tells Carrie during this time you know I took this road and I took this road and it was all very detailed and he said to her you know can I stop now like if the story is upsetting you I want to stop and she said you've taken my daughter just continue and so he asked he basically begged her if he could stop whenever he started to get to the part about the rape but she said continue So she said whenever she left, he was actually crying because he, you know, has gone over this whole thing. Real tears, fake tears, we'll never know. So when they get up to the Pala area, he did rape her and stabbed her. He said he really didn't know why he did it, and it was just a crime of opportunity. Which, my gosh, like, what Mm. kind of monster gets in a fight with their girlfriend and is just like, 
sees somebody on the side of the road and does this. It's terrifying. It is. So he asked her if she was going to scream and yell at him. Yes, carry this. And she said, nope. And she walked away. And she said it was the biggest relief when she walked out of there. I just, Carrie is like the strongest mom. I don't even know how she did that. Carrie said that this conversation with Gardner gave her strength and that she felt, in her words, that she had complete closure and that he had no more power over her. Like for her, some people might not want to hear everything, but she said, as her mom, I wanted to know every single thing my daughter went through that day. Chelsea King's family, Amber's family, and even Candace Moncayo delivered victim impact statements. John Albert Gardner was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences with no opportunity of parole, ensuring that he would die in prison. John Gardner himself spoke to 48 Hours, and he described himself. It was so scary and creepy listening to this man speak about himself. He described himself as being the most dangerous type of sexual predator. And this is a quote. He said, I will kill. I need to be locked up forever. I never want to get out. He also went on to say that he was violent even as a child, and he has been on 16 to 20 different psychiatric medications throughout his childhood. Nothing has been able to help him to control his rage, and he admitted that he had hurt many family members in the past. According to him, his anger just explodes, and he always regrets his actions after the fact, and his guilt tortures him every day of his life. And he says that for him death would be the ultimate release. The district attorney, Bonnie Dumanis, believed that his statements were all an act and that he was totally unremorseful. She said that in her experience, sociopathic people don't have the ability to be remorseful. So she didn't believe this guy when he was saying that he regrets all of this and that he is he's so guilty and he's tortured by it. She was not going for that. But this was also kind of brought to light when Candace Moncayo was giving her victim impact statement. And she stated that she came to stand as a witness for Chelsea and Amber. And then at the end of her statement, she asked Gardner how his nose was referring back to when she had elbowed him in the face during his attempted attack on her. And whenever she said that like little statement, it was like a little dig at him. He changed completely from being so remorseful and so upset with tears, you know, coming out of his eyes. And then he just got this ragey, ragey look in his eyes. And he turned like to his lawyer and made this, you know, sneering face and was saying like, she didn't hit me and all of this stuff. And he really took it personal that she would get up there in court and, you know, mock him by saying like, how is your nose? So he said that in the creepiest way possible. It was like between his teeth, like his teeth were just clenched. And he said, she didn't hit me. Like that's all he cared about, getting the record straight. And the next thing he said was, she's doing this for publicity or something. I'm like, of all of this, this is where you're upset about this one thing. Like it, it just was terrifying. When you saw that, you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, this guy is totally capable of this entire thing, you know. And Carrie's mom even said that. She's like, I saw what Amber and Chelsea had seen. Just heartbreaking and terrible and just – it was like looking in the face of evil, honestly. It really was. Yeah, it was. So he is being held in the Corcoran State Prison 
Chelsea and Amber's family are trying to make a difference as they move forward with their lives. Chelsea's family, along with California State Assembly member Nathan Fletcher, passed Assembly Bill 1844, the Chelsea King Child Predator Prevention Act of 2010, or more commonly known as Chelsea's Law. And Chelsea's Law allows life without parole sentences for adult predators who kidnap, drug, bind, torture, or use a weapon while committing a sex crime against a child. Life terms could be ordered for first time and repeat offenders, and it also increases other penalties for child molesters, including requiring lifetime parole with GPS tracking for people convicted of forcible sex crimes against children under 14. So Chelsea's law, I would say it's a I think it's a great law. It's amazing. And had that law been in place before, Gardner wouldn't have been out like he would not have been able to be out. So it's so upsetting that this happened, of course, and it's amazing that Chelsea King's family and Amber's family wanted to make a difference. They wanted to make sure this does not happen to another family. Just their families are incredible. As for Amber's family, Carrie forgives John Gardner because anger, she says, is not going to get her anywhere. Carrie and Dave did reconcile, and they are living together again with their daughter, Allison. And the couple actually got married in 2012. Mo Dubois helped pass new laws in California to help track sex offenders and speed up police response in missing children cases. Harry founded the Team Amber Rescue that was formed to train volunteers in the proper search and rescue techniques so missing persons can be found as quickly as possible. The King family created the Chelsea's Light Foundation, and until 2018, Chelsea's family held Finish Chelsea's Run, which was a 5K used to raise money for scholarships. The family suspended the annual events of the foundation to focus their efforts on advocacy. On the Chelsea's Light Foundation website, you can find samples of what a great writer Chelsea was. For a scholarship application, she wrote her own adaptation of Dr. Seuss's Oh, the Places You'll Go, and you can find that on the uh, website for Chelsea's Light Foundation. So as we said, Mary Jane helped us out with this episode this week, and this came from a really personal place for her. April is actually Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and one in five women and one in 71 men will be raped at some point in their lives. Mary Jane has shared with us her personal story of when this really almost happened to her and she was able to fight and get away. I have like chills just even thinking about it. She wants to encourage our listeners and we want to encourage our listeners to look in this month as a great month to learn more, to become more aware, to look into martial arts classes, look into ways you can help defend yourself. There are monsters out there. This story, you know, just puts it back in your brain that these kind of things do happen. So we want our listeners to be safe. And so if you are looking for any places to find more information, there is the National Sexual Violence Resource Center. That's nsvrc.org. There's lots of information there to help be prepared and keeping yourself safe. And Mary Jane also said she's in our Facebook group that if you need help finding any of these martial arts classes, a lot of times in April they have you know, discounts and stuff like that. If you just want more information that she would be happy to speak to you. So Mary Jane is amazing. It's her story is really, really amazing. And it's so special to us that she shared it and that she wants other people to be aware. So we are going to take a huge step in a different direction and do our last thing before we go. This is a segment in our show to kind of shake off some of the icky that we just heard about and really just kind of leave you on a happier note. And so this week we have a couple questions. The first one is from Lisa Marie S. in our Facebook group. And she asked, what movie do you despise that other people love? I feel like I get in a lot of trouble over things that I hate because I hate a I know. lot of things. 
I don't like, well, the, I, I'm bad with movies. I already know people are going to come for me. Okay, so the thing I hate more than anything in the world of any movie, and I know this is controversial and I don't even care, is The Princess Bride. Oh, I haven't even seen The Princess Bride. Well, thank you so much because now people can dog you for not seeing it while they dog me for seeing it. It's one of those movies that I feel like I didn't watch whenever it came out. And so I don't have a huge desire to see it. But my husband's family is obsessed with this movie. They quote it all the time. A toll is a toll and a wait, a toll is a toll and a roll is a roll. And if we don't get no toll, you don't get no roll. Something like that. They say it constantly. I've never <laughs> found it funny. And they do it all the time. Anytime there's rolls, which is literally at every family event. So I watched it and my husband was like, I think you're going to love it. And I hated it. I hated it so freaking much. Will not change my opinion. Don't care. You can at me all you want. I will not change my opinion on that. It's a garbage movie. And congratulations if you like it. But that is my very unpopular opinion on that movie. <laughs> so I am just as bad. I have not seen The Princess Bride I know we have members of our Facebook group that are like obsessed with that mm -hmm. movie. So maybe one day I will try to check it out. Maybe I won't though, now that I've heard your review of it. So I don't like, obviously, Star Wars. No. I've said that before on our show. I've tried numerous times. I've even tried watching the newer movies. I'm just not into it. I can't get into it. I don't understand it. I don't understand the hype. I think it's boring. So many things. I'm just trashing Star Wars right now. Hardcore. Honestly, like I'm it. going to join you because I've tried, but not even that hard. I just, it's not my thing. Space wars. I've tried care. multiple times. No, I know. I've tried multiple times. I just cannot get into it. I just don't see the appeal. I don't understand it. But I'm also kind of the same way. And this is where people are also going to want to put my head on a stake. But I'm also kind of the same way with Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. No. I'm going to agree with both of you, <laughs> which doesn't help your case because I have a terrible taste in everything. So if I'm agreeing with you, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I did read the Harry Potter books when I was a kid, and then I have seen the first movie, and then I've seen bits and pieces of the rest of them. But I just don't know. I'm just not like – I don't understand people getting fanatical about movies like that. And like, you know, of course, where we live here in Orlando, they have Harry Potter World at Universal Studios. And it's this big whole, you know, ordeal. People go there just to see that. And like, I just don't get it. I mean, I don't understand why it's so great. So I'm sure we'll get a lot I know. of – I'm not even checking our email this week. <laughs> I'm not even looking at it. No, I, but see, for me, it's with those movies, it's like, I don't like fantasy stuff. So Game of Thrones, their final season is this week. And I don't care. I don't care. And I tried to watch a few episodes. Same thing. Like, I feel like with all of these, I've tried and I just don't get it. Like Game of Thrones, the episode I watched was incest and dragons. I was like, wait, where's Whoa. the good part of this? I don't get it. But anything fantasy, that's like my own thing. I just... I don't like it. I It's just not my thing. But I know people that really like it and love it and are really into Harry Potter and like they share it with their kids. Like one of our good friends, their daughter loves it. And so it's like a really great bonding thing for them. If my daughter said she started reading Harry Potter, I would be like, well, this is just your own thing. I can't help you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But yeah, I, people are going to stop listening to us just based on this. Oh, goodness. And so, okay. So the other question is, what is the most hip hypocritical thing that you tell your kids? This is from Caitlin L. in our <laughs> Facebook group. And I asked my husband this. I'm like, what do we lie to our kids about? And he said, 
what don't we lie to our kids about? So I got to think yeah. about this and pick a good one. Mary, <laughs> Mary Beth. Mandy, what do you got? <laughs> Did you just yeah, call I me have Mary not. Beth? I have a friend named Mary Beth from like literally the fourth grade. No, sixth grade. And that's it. <laughs> okay. I... As a mom, I guess I'm like a giant hypocrite because I like there's all kinds of stuff that I, you know, I want my kids to do or that, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like a do as I say, not as I do kind of thing. Like, I feel like I have that like all the time for sure. But probably the most hypocritical thing, and I think all of us are guilty of this, is me telling my kids that I don't want them playing on devices or on their phones or on like tablets or something. And then meanwhile, like I'm on mine pretty much off and on all day long. So my nine-year-old has called me out on that now. Now he's starting to catch on. So when I tell him like, you've had enough time on your, you know, whatever it is that you're on, I need you to hand it over to me. He will be like, mom, you're on your phone all day. (laughs) So then I'm like, well, now what am I supposed to say? (laughs) Because it's true, but also I'm an adult and I can and – that's just how it goes. But I'm not really on my phone all day, but I guess he thinks I am. So yeah. that's probably my most hypocritical thing. I'm always saying like too much screen time is not good for your eyes. It's not good for you, this, that, and the other thing. And then they're like, well, then why are you always on it? So <laughs> I agree with you there. I talk a lot about like my kids and eating like their vegetables and stuff. And I'm just not a big vegetable person. So I'm like, really, you should be eating all of these vegetables because they're good for you. And like there were times my son would believe me and like we would pretend like his muscles were growing while he was eating vegetables and stuff. And so last night was a new low when I was like, if you eat this asparagus, your pee is going to smell so bad. And I knew that would work for him. Like him, a little boy, they're like, oh, my pee is going to smell. I'm going to eat asparagus. So he ran around eating asparagus <laughs> and like telling me to come smell his pee. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. I don't care if you eat your vegetables. <laughs> this really backfired on me and I want nothing to do with this. But yeah, I think that's a big one that I'm hypocritical about. I'm like, you have to eat all this stuff. And I've like got a yo-yo like public chocolate chip cookies with like whipped cream in the middle you guys got to take better care of yourself and like sleep the same thing I'm like you really should be getting better sleep and I'm like up till 2 30 in the morning watching like little women LA or something yeah I mean I don't know I feel like this is just the life of a parent we just do we just we're just hypocrites as parents I guess I don't know 100% (laughs) okay before we go we are going to play the promo for our good friends with the Gone Cold podcast, and they do an amazing job. They have a great show, and we would really hope you guys will check that out. And otherwise, Mandy, we are going to be out of here. We'll be back next week. We have bonus episodes up on patreon.com slash moms and murder podcasts, sending out stickers, magnets, cups sometimes, just depends on what level you sign up for. If you're interested in that, check out patreon.com slash moms and murder podcast. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Bye. So this person spent quite a bit of time in the commission of this monstrous act. Hi, y'all. I'm Vincent, host of Gone Cold Podcast, Texas True Crime. Each week, we take a thorough look at lesser-known unsolved cases throughout the Lone Star State. Hear victims' stories as told by their loved ones and expert insight from law enforcement and medical professionals. You know, using a hatchet, that's an extremely violent and rageful type of act. The truth is out there somewhere, and you can help us find it. You know, before I die, I want to know who did it. 
please join us as we examine forgotten Texas cases. Subscribe and listen to Gone Cold Podcast, Texas True Crime, on your favorite podcatcher. There are monsters among us. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder Podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.